Well, good morning, OneChurch.tv. How are you guys doing this morning? Fantastic. You guys are alive and awake, and I am so stoked. I want to welcome all you guys, if you're in Theater 16, if you're hanging out with us over in the video theater, if you're watching us online, or if you're watching us on Facebook Live, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We're starting a new series today entitled Proclaimed, and uh, we're taking just a small section of the book of Acts, and we're talking about how the church can engage culture. So we're so excited that you're here today. If this is your first time here, we hope that you uh, hung out with us by guest services and uh, got our free uh, gift. Uh, we'd love giving that to you. We'll give you a free movie ticket. Uh, and uh, so if the sermon stinks, the movie won't afterwards. So anyway, so welcome to OneChurch.tv. So all right, we're going to be um, having a conversation today, and that's exactly what I want it to be. In fact, my number is going to be on the screen behind me. So as I am teaching and talking through today, if you would like to have a dialogue about what we're talking about, then make sure to text us in, or if you're online, make sure to sign in uh, so that we can be able to uh, read your comments. So today, we're going to be looking at why we do what we do as a church. At OneChurch.tv, we want to engage people. We believe that God died for people, that God loves people. It's not about buildings. It's not about programs. It is about people. And we believe that God can change your life. And the reason why I know that is because he's changed my life. How many of you, you would say, God has changed your life? Let me hear you. I'm telling you. So if you, did, if you weren't part of that, woo, we want to let you know you're at the right place at the right time. Because God has a message for you today. And here's the message. That God isn't mad at you. He is madly in love with you. And uh, I, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We believe that there's so much potential for change. The greatest potential for change happens when people begin a relationship with their Heavenly Father through Jesus. So today, we're going to be talking about one of our core values, but it's also the big idea of what we're going to see Paul do uh, in the church, uh, in, in what we're going to see him do in Athens, and also what we're going to uh, see him do in one of the letters that he wrote. And here's our big idea today. We will do anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. So that's why we exist. We will do anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. At OneChurch.tv, we're going to always push the envelope. And if we have to choose to offend anyone, we're going to push it too far because we want to see people come to know God through Jesus Christ. And that means we will use any mediums necessary, any technology necessary. We've, had, we've used so many different movies to talk about how God loves us, whether that be Toy Story or A-Team or The Hulk or Batman, or any of that stuff, right? We love taking culture and movies and putting them towards God. In fact, we've used so many different songs. We've used songs by Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, Christina Aguilera, Garth Brooks, James Taylor, The Beatles, Coldplay, Carly Rae Jepsen. Can you call me maybe? I'm, we've used so many different songs. We've even used, is everybody sitting down? We've used country songs. I know it's getting crazy here, all right? How many of y'all, you like country music? How many of y'all, you don't like country music? Wow, all right. So I don't need to be making fun of country music this morning. There you go. All right, so my point is, we're always going to push the envelope, and we will use any means necessary to point people to God. 
So I want to let you know, I'm willing to do anything I need to do to communicate that God loves them. And guess what? Paul was the exact same way. Let me tell you about Paul, because we're going to be looking at his story today. Paul, his name wasn't always Paul. It used to be Saul, and he hated Jesus. He hated the church until one day he met Jesus, and his life changed in an instant. And what's so amazing, Saul becoming Paul, that he goes out and we see that Paul writes over two-thirds of our New Testament. We see that he planted literally tons of churches all over Asia Minor. And today we're going to be looking at his strategy, that his strategy was willing to do anything, anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. So I'm gonna, uh, we're going to end up in Acts chapter 17 today, but I just want to take just a quick look at the letter that he wrote, and I want you to let him, just from his own words, hear his strategy. This is what Paul says. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. Quick question, Paul. Why? To, let's all say it together, to win as many as possible. Okay, Paul, you're just in it for the numbers. And Paul would say, yeah, I am. Because I believe that everybody spends eternity somewhere. So I want to let you know, with us at OneChurch.tv, over the past 10 years, you've heard me talk about these these statistics before. We've seen 10,900 people come through our doors over the past 10 years. We've seen 1,289 people pray to receive Christ, and we've seen 674 people baptized over 10 years. That is amazing. And some of you are saying, Chris, are you just in it for the numbers? And the answer is absolutely. Absolutely. You see, we're not here just to be a mega church or anything like that. We want to see people come to know God. Because we believe, just as Paul believes, that everybody spends eternity somewhere. Verse 20. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to what? To win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one who's under the law. Why? So to win those under the law. Okay, but Paul. Stop, Paul. You're not even being honest. You're saying, you know what? If, you got, if you're pretending here and you're raising this up here, Lord, and Paul says, absolutely. I will totally do that. If I need to tone this down or push this up in the mix, I'm willing to do so because my goal is to win as many as possible. Why would you do that? Because everybody spends eternity somewhere. Verse 21, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law. But you're Jewish, Paul, you have the law. And and Paul would say this, I'm not changing what I believe, but I am changing my approach. Why? So as to win those not having the law. See, Paul isn't abandoning his beliefs. Paul is willing to change his approach. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak. Are, Are we seeing a repetition of a word here? What is it? To win. To win the weak. I've become, and here's the point, all things to all men so that by all means possible, I might save some. What does that all mean, all? Let me tell you what the Greek word for all is. Are you all ready? It's all. It's everyone. You see, Paul wants everyone 
to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because Paul is willing to do anything short of sin to win as many as possible. So you're saying, Paul, you're willing to risk group A thinking that you approve of something you don't approve of in order to win group B? And Paul would say, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're willing to risk group B, thinking you believe in something you don't believe so that you can win group A? Paul would say, yep, that's my point. Because my goal isn't to make people happy. It isn't to be right and to make a point. My goal is to win as many as possible. So let's look at this principle in work. Let's see how Paul engages people who were, very, who were like him and also how he engages people who were very much unlike him because he was willing to become all things to all men so that by all means possible he could win some, anything short of sin. All right, so verse chapter 17, verse 1 of Acts, he, he, goes, he, he goes to people he has something in common with. Let's look at it. Paul and Silas then traveled to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. TV timeout. What is a Jewish, a Jewish synagogue? It was basically like a Jewish church that met on Saturdays. And Paul's custom, look at this, I'm reading. As Paul's custom, he went into the synagogue service and for three Sabbaths in a row, for three Saturdays straight, he used what? The scriptures to reason with people. What did he use? The scriptures. He used the Hebrew scriptures, the Bible, to point people towards Jesus. Now, why did he use the Hebrew scriptures? Well, because in this Jewish synagogue, their culture was based upon the Hebrew scriptures, so he started with what they had in common. Here's just a great point. To communicate, you start by having something in common with someone. You see, the reason why you can understand and I'm able to communicate to you is because we have the English language in common. You know the words that I'm saying and you, you process those and that's something we have in common. In fact, the Greek word communication comes from the Latin word communis that literally means to have something in common. You see, to communicate requires the building of bridges. It's about going into culture and connecting the dots and learning the language sometimes, but always learning the customs and pointing people to God by connecting the dots. And in the culture of Thessalonica, because they knew the Hebrew scriptures, Paul started pointing people to Jesus by using the Hebrew scriptures, God's word. He did the same thing in the town of Berea, verse 10. When Paul and Silas arrived in Berea, they went to where? The Jewish synagogue. Why? Because that was Paul's custom. Paul wanted to engage in this culture, and he always went where he had common ground with folks. Hear me on this. If we're going to engage our culture and make a difference for Jesus as a church, we must find where we have common ground. You see, in the past 40, 50, 60 years, the church many times could just engage with those who didn't go to church by just opening up the Bible and talking about the stories of David and Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den. Well, all of these stories that everybody knew, even though not everybody went to church. But today, if you don't know this, we live in a post-Christian culture, which simply just means that our beliefs and worldviews, they're not the most influential anymore. We can't assume that people know the Bible. Do you know how to spell assume? Be careful, right? You see, we can't just start with the Bible. 
We have to, we have to find something else in common with. We have to go into our culture. And even though this, again, I think all of us should engage with God's word, we just can't start there if we're really going to make a lasting difference. And that's exactly what Paul did in Acts 17. In Acts 17, when he gets to Athens, he decides to take the message to the religious outsiders in Athens. The same Athens that you and I can visit today, and we can see the same sights that Paul would see if he went to Athens. And in Athens, he's waiting for a couple of guys to catch up with him because they're traveling with him and telling everybody about Jesus. And while Paul is in Athens, he discovers that Athens is a very, very religious city. He engages in this fascinating conversation with very religious people, who believed in the Greeks and Romans' worldview and their gods and their systems that many of us studied in school. This is what it says in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was what? Deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Let me just pause here and just simply ask you a question. On Saturday mornings when you wake up, or when Sunday mornings when you woke up to come to church this morning, You drove by people whose cars were in the driveway and who weren't going to church. And you've heard me say this statistic. 88% of people in Clarksville don't go to church anywhere. Do you have a burden for them to come to know Jesus? You see, Paul did. It kept him up at night. He saw everything that was going on in this culture, and he wanted people to come to know Jesus. Now, I pray that you have that burden as well. So he's looking at the city, and he's seeing all of these idols. Here's a a couple of pictures of Athens behind me. Everywhere he looks, he sees all of these idols, all of these different gods. Parsinius writes that Athens had more idols than all of Greece put together. There were 10,000 people living in Athens. And get this, Pliny adds, in the time of Nero, Athens had over 25,000 to 30,000 public statues, not counting the 30,000 idols in the Parthenon alone. Petrinius sneered that it is easier to find a god than a man in Athens. And that was exactly the truth. You got 10,000 people living there, and there's 60,000 idols? You see, the population of Athens was estimated at 10,000, but they're all looking at Zeus and Apollo and Hera and Ares and Aphrodite and Apollo and Artemis and Poseidon. And these people living in Athens, they don't know the stories of David and Goliath. They don't know the stories of Daniel in the lion's den. They don't know the stories of Adam and Eve and any of this other stuff. So the people living in Athens, they don't know the stories from the scriptures. So guess what? Paul doesn't start there. He goes and he finds something else in common with them. Verse 17. So look at this. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. Because remember, that was his custom. He goes first to the people he has something in common with, but Paul just didn't stay there. He just didn't hang out at church and go to church on Sunday mornings and then go back to his regular life. Look at what it says. I'm going to keep on reading. Verse 17. And then he spoke daily in the marketplace to all who happened to be there. Paul goes out of the marketplace, and he engages in religious conversation. He makes the decision, I'm not going to just stay inside the church. I'm going to go out 
And I'm going to hang out Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And I'm going to talk to people who are far away from God. You know, it would have been easy for Paul just to stay behind the walls of a church and just hang out in his office somewhere. But he went out to the irreligious, the unchurched, the de-churched. Paul was willing to become all things to all people in order to win some. To hang out with, to do life with people whose lives were a mess. And sometimes relationships are messy. How many of y'all, you agree with that one? Relationships can be messy. One of the things, let me tell you, it would be easy for me to do is, is just to spend my time hanging out with Christians and being holed up in a church office Monday through Thursday. But I want to let you know, as your pastor, I intentionally do not do that. I try to at least take one day a week, and I still work, but I work off-site. And sometimes I'm at the tap room at the Black Horse. Sometimes I'm at O'Neill's Bar and Pub. A lot of times I like hanging out at Buffalo Wild Wings. And let me tell you, here's the point of all of that. And some of you, Pastor, are you drinking? No, I'm not. But here's what I am. I'm hanging out with people who are normal, who need Jesus Christ. You see, some of you, y'all, some of you, y'all aren't that normal, right? And that's okay. But let me tell you, people need Jesus Christ. Do you agree with that? And in order for that to happen, you can't always expect them to come to you. You have to go to them. So a lot of times I show up. And let me tell you, so many things have happened. Just me hanging out at Buffalo Wild Wings. I remember there was this one waitress that I've been able to build a relationship with and, and build a friendship with. And she came up to me and she says, Chris, I want to let you know this not going to church anywhere, but you know what? This, this past week, I, I had a miscarriage. And I'll, you're the only person I know. Would you please pray for me? Will you talk to me? Will you talk to God for me? Absolutely, I did it. And we stopped right then and we prayed. You see, that's what it's about. It's engaging with people who are far from God. And that's exactly what Paul did. Paul went out into the marketplace where normal people hung out who needed Jesus. So, and he had a message Look what happened. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Now, let me just talk about who Epicureans and Stoics. Let me talk about those. Epicureans were like life of the parties. They were like every week at spring break. How many of y'all, you would say, that's you, baby? They're like, ah, right? How many of y'all, that y'all are the life of the party? Right, none of y'all? Wow, okay. Thank you. See you. All right. So 845 asked that question and nobody answered. I'm like, y'all, y'all aren't my people. All right. So, and then there were the Stoics. Now, Stoics were like heady people. They were the nerds. They were always thinking through stuff. How many of you, that's what you would consider yourself? All right. So y'all don't yell out. You're like, I think that's me. All right. Sweet. All right. So here's what he's engaging two groups of opposite groups of people. One's just like, let's party all the time. The other one's like, you know what? Let's just keep emotions out of it. Let's just think through these things, right? Interesting. He says he also had a debate. Now, I love that word debate because it's not the word that you think it means. The Greek word is sunabalo, which means to have a conversation with. See, it's not debating where it's like you and me and us versus them. It's like, hey, let's have a conversation. Let me hear what you have to say and... I want you to hear what I have to say about it. He had a debate with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, some said, what is this babbler trying to say with all of these strange ideas he's picked up? So it was so weird, had no common ground. But listen, others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. 
In other words, it's like they didn't have enough guides. They didn't have all the Zeus and Aphrodite and all that stuff. It just sounded like God was just adding another one to the mix. Paul engaged in a conversation and a dialogue about faith. Let me say this. I believe people will begin a relationship with Jesus when we choose to create conversations and dialogues about faith. When we open ourselves up and we become real and ask and answer questions with people, give them opportunities to kick the tires of faith, and it's exactly what Paul did with these folks who didn't believe like he did. He didn't yell at him. He didn't, he didn't condemn him. He started a conversation. What is a conversation? You see, a conversation is different than just talking. A conversation is really more the journey of talking. Conversations take a long time. Conversations cover a span of time. All conversations have beginnings, but not all of them have endings. Conversations, listen to this, happen with people, not at people. Conversations are like journeys. There are twists and there are turns. There are ups. There are downs. There are agreements and there's disagreements. There's a lot of listening in a conversation. There's a lot of seeking to understand in a conversation. Let me tell you, Christians are not that good at conversations. They're just not. Christians are good at confrontations and conversion attempts, and convictions, and condemnation. But we as Christ followers need to get better at creating conversations. Why? Because conversations always create connections. As Christians, we struggle with conversations. We have a lot of conversion attempts. We have a lot of projects. We have a lot of agendas. We have a lot of confrontations. Some Christians are really good at condemnation. Some people just want to convict everyone. Unfortunately, we're good at making a point, but so many times we don't make a difference because we don't engage in conversations. Convictions, confrontations do not create connections. Conversations create connections. Having a conversation means you listen just as much as you talk. You seek to understand before being understood. That's what a conversation is all about. And that's what Paul is doing. He had a conversation with the Epicurean and Stoic folks. And get this, because he had a conversation, it led to him having more conversations with other people. If the church, if we would have more conversations and less confrontations and condemnation, people will lean in and want to listen. So that's what happens with Paul. They invite him to talk more about God. I love that. I love this. Look what happens. He is going to talk to them. And what is he going to use? Is he going to start in Genesis? The first book found in the Bible. By the way, the book of Genesis, first book found in the Bible, it literally means beginnings. Is he going to start there? Because, you know, the beginning is a very good place to start. That's what Maria said in The Sound of Music, right? All right? Or is he going to maybe go to the Psalms and, like, quote some of these lyrics? Get this, Paul is not, he's going to communicate God's love for them without ever opening up the Bible. Now, why? Because they don't value the Bible. That's not their world. That's not their worldview. 
So he finds something in common, and it's not the Bible. Did Paul believe the Bible? Yeah. I mean, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I've already mentioned that. But he started where people were at, and he's searching and seeking after a God. That's what they're looking for. Verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice. Turn to your neighbor and say, have you noticed? I notice that you are very religious in every way. I mean, everywhere they look and they see these religious icons. 60,000 idols found in the, in the city of Athens. There are several temples. And so, how many of you have been to the Parthenon in Nashville? You've seen that, right? This replica of what was in Greece. So they're there and they're looking at Athena and all of this stuff. And he says, I observe that you're very religious. As I was walking along... I saw your many shrines. So Paul is observing the culture before he ever started talking. And one of your altars had this inscription on it. To an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one that I'm going to tell you about. And look at this. This is so interesting. We've actually found this altar to an unknown God. The picture is actually behind me. So amazing here. You see, Paul recognized that this altar to an unknown God was really uh, them broadening their, saying, there's got to be more to all of this life. It's more than just about Athena and Poseidon and Hermes and Ares and all of this stuff. This statue screamed, there's something more to this life. Paul started where they were. And he answered their spiritual questions. What people, what spiritual questions are people asking today? Think through that. What spiritual questions are people asking today? You know, 60 years ago, with the threat of nuclear war, with the Cold War, everybody was asking the question, well, you know what, if I were to die today, where am I going to spend eternity? In fact, that was kind of like the Christian pickup line. How many of you have ever heard somebody use that to you? If you were going to die today, where would you spend eternity, right? That's just kind of where they were 60 years ago. But today, get this. We're still, we're still asking that same question, and yet only 10% of people today ask that question. People aren't asking that question anymore. The only people who are asking that question, if I were going to die today, where I'm going to spend eternity, is usually somebody who's getting ready to be deployed overseas or somebody who's in the hospital. Here's a better question that we could be asking today. How can I find more meaning and purpose in my life? Because so many of us, we go to jobs that we hate on Monday mornings. And we just despise it. And we feel like we're wasting our times. Or here's another question. Many millennials are asking this one. How can I really make a difference in my world that goes beyond me? This cry for social justice. Today's generation wants to make a difference. And you see, we can answer that question. There's no greater difference that you can make than actually telling somebody about Jesus Christ. I love that. Secondly, Paul studied their culture. Paul found common ground with these folks by studying their culture. And this is what happens, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all of the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. Men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way, and I was walking along and I saw your many shrines. Look at those verbs in these verses. Saw, noticed, waiting, walking. 
Paul spent time studying their culture, reading their poets, listening to their music, looking at their art. I believe that if today, that if Paul were to show up in our culture, you know where he would spend a lot of his time? At the movies. Because our culture loves moving pictures. How many of y'all, you've seen a movie in the past month? Let me hear you. That's most of us, right? And the rest of us, we've been binge watching Netflix, right? Let's tell the truth, shame the devil, right? Here's the thing. Guess what? That's where our culture's at. And if we're going to engage our culture, then guess what? We have to start where people are at. It's the reason why I love being church at the movies. 88% of people don't go to church, but 90% of people this past month will go to the movies. I love that. Third, Paul spoke about Jesus. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and by human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to what? everything. And he satisfies every need. Let me just pause here. If you're here and this church is not your gig and this is your first time, that last, that Lowe's last few words are for you. He can satisfy your every need. You see, some of you, you've been trying to deaden the pain with alcohol or relationships or with whatever. Where we get our needs satisfied truly is through God. Paul is saying, God is bigger than your religion. See that temple over there? God's bigger than that. Oh, Parthenon, really big? Way big God's way bigger than that. You see, God, he's expanding their thoughts about God. And then he continues. He's saying, your God is too small. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. I love, again, the words in here seek him, feel their way towards him, and find him. I, I rem- so many times I wake up in the middle of the night, and like when you have to go to the bathroom, you have to go to something, and there's no lights on, you kind of have to feel your way, and you stub your toe, and that's when you go, oh, you know, that, <clears throat> right? Or if you're in like an apartment, or you, you go to like a hotel, you're away, and you don't know the layout, and you wake up, and you're like, oh, where is it at? Some of you, that's what you're doing with God right now. Man, I don't know where he's at. And what Paul says is he's not very far from each and every one of us. I love that. Paul is going to say that you can have a relationship with God because he reached down to us. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now Paul says something that they have heard many times. He is quoting a, a poem that wasn't written about Jesus, it was written about Zeus. He just left Zeus's name out. So Epimendes is actually, he actually wrote this poem. In him, we, have, we are his offspring. Paul is using a sacred, a sacred, a secular media to prove a sacred point here. And look at this, verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Well, that's kind of a churchy word, repent, but it really isn't. It literally means to change one's mind about something. Repent means to change your mind. And that's what Paul is encouraging them to do. Listen, you're worshiping this thing, worshiping that thing. You're trying to find meaning and purpose elsewhere. The only way you can find meaning and purpose is through Jesus. You need to change your mind about that. Last verses. For he has set a day for judging the world, 
with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. And when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection from the dead, look at this, there's three responses here. First one is some, some laughed in what? Contempt. So some weren't interested, whatever. Others said, we want to hear more about this, but later. They, they wanted more information, they just weren't ready. And then third... But some joined him and became believers. So some responded. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, and a woman named Damaris, and with others with him. And that's the end of Paul's talk. Paul engages his culture, and he does so by the challenge I want to give to you today. So again, if you're a Christ follower in here, if you're part of One Church TV, I'm going to give you three challenges. And the first one is simply this. This week, I want you to create some conversations with other people about faith. Don't do a conversion. Don't do condemnation or conviction. Just talk. Start where they're at. Number two, look for common ground when starting those conversations. If you're in Starbucks, start with common ground. Start with the grounds of the coffee. I know that was corny. Please forgive me. That was awful. That, was awesome. that really was awful. All right? um, but start with common ground. All right? And third, if this is your passion, my challenge to you is to join us in the church. Because let me tell you, our mission, one of our core values here, is we will do anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. You see, we want to create a church that unchurched people love to attend. Now, that doesn't mean we're a church of unchurched people. No, that's not it at all. We just want to create a church that unchurched people love to attend. And that means we're not going to assume things. We're going to show up, and the music that you hear is not going to sound like a funeral dirge. You might need earplugs, right? But our goal is we will do anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus Christ. And my challenge to you is Easter is coming. It's going to be here in just a few weeks. Why not encourage one of your friends, encourage somebody in your neighborhood, encourage that coworker, somebody that you're soldiering with, and say, hey, what are you doing Easter? You want to come to my church? Invest in them and invite them to one church. I promise you, you won't regret it. You see, some of you, let me, let me just... If, I just want to see your hands. How many, how many of you would say, you know what? Somebody invited me to church. Let me see your hands. Look at, look at the hands around. Keep them up. I want everybody to look around. You see, all of us, none of us were born here. None of us were born into faith. We had to have somebody invite us. And I'm encouraging you, church, with Easter coming, lives are hanging in the balance because everybody spends eternity somewhere. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Join with us by creating conversations, finding those common grounds, and be willing to do anything to invite them to Jesus. God, we love you. Thank you so much, Lord, that we can come here today. And Lord, that we can just follow Paul's message that we would do anything, anything, anything short of sin to reach people for you because lives matter. Eternity is a long time. And God loves everyone. For God so loved the world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.